You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features guest Lloyd Cambridge. Lloyd is a Brooklyn-based entrepreneur who is working to transform the learning experience for fellow entrepreneurs, creators, and makers. Now, Lloyd has a background in banking and public service and has managed to use his advisory and financial skills and all-around passion for entrepreneurship to build his company, Progress Playbook. Progress Playbook equips entrepreneurs with customized learning plans that sharpen their business acumen. Lloyd is also lifting as he climbs. He's doing some amazing things in the community, especially with youth and making a real impact. We got into all of this during our discussion. So go ahead and take a listen. And I hope you enjoy. Lloyd Cambridge, welcome to the December 26th podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am officially a guest of Impact Hub NYC tonight. Great to be in this space. I can feel this entrepreneurial energy in here. I love being in these types of environments. So happy to join you this evening and happy that you could join us. So tell me, who is Lloyd Cambridge? Lloyd Cambridge. Lloyd Cambridge is a entrepreneur, a community developer. He is an educator, uh, a brother, uh, a son. He is um, passionate about progress, making change. Um, I grew up in in, in Brooklyn and uh, a fan of, of, of New York City and really want to see New York City thrive. Um, yeah, I would say that sums up for the most part who Lloyd is. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's layers to it. That's just yes. a little piece of it, you know? There's layers. And we're going to try to peel a couple back tonight. Yeah. So I want to jump into your work first as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You are the CEO of Progress Playbook. Correct. Yep. Tell us a little bit about what that company is. Yeah. So Progress Playbook, I started the company three years ago. Um, Progress Playbook is a education company. So we essentially teach people how to start businesses. It's an entrepreneurship training company, but we also do a lot of economic development as well. So uh, government agencies, nonprofits and corporations, those are our clients. So they hire us to design and execute programs uh, for the people that they serve. So we do a lot of work in uh, communities that are disadvantaged mm-hmm. um, and really trying to figure out ways to help to make them progress economically, but also socially as well, because they're all interrelated. Um, so we've done projects from working with the you know the New York City Department of Small Business Services. We had a project where we supported bodegas across the city, um, and we essentially created curriculum to help bodegas to upgrade their stores, to offer healthier foods. That's an example of a project. We work with the Actors Fund to help artists like on Broadway and uh, entertainment professionals to uh, start sideline businesses as they're pursuing their art to kind of subsidize their income so they won't have to like work at a restaurant, kind of bussing tables and stuff, you know? So, um, so yeah, like our job is to look at groups that are marginalized, that, um, you know, historically have been uh, disadvantaged and to provide support for them to be able to provide additional sources of income and have mobility um, in terms of class, right? So um, yeah, that's the work that we've been doing. We've been doing it for three years. 
um, couldn't imagine life without doing, doing this work. It's like so inspiring. And it's it's like t- today, for example, we started a new project in Brownsville, Brooklyn, which is where I'm from mm-hmm. originally. And um, yeah, we're working with uh, about 15 young people wow. from Brownsville and we're helping them to develop an economic development plan for a commercial corridor in Brownsville called uh, Belmont Avenue. Wow. And it's like pretty, it's like, I don't know, every time I do it, I'm just like so inspired by like the genius of these people who, you know, who people that people have neglected for, for so long. Right. So, so when I hear about programs like this and when I was researching for this interview, I thought, wow, this is an amazing endeavor. This is amazing work, but how do you monetize something like this? Right. So usually when you see these types of projects are often passion projects, philanthropic endeavors that people take on, or they're literally donating their time uh, to the cause, but you've been able to turn this into a revenue generating business. Mm -hmm. Did you get into this space knowing that you could monetize or did that come later? Did you have that epiphany later? Yeah. So when I, so I actually quit my job, um, three years ago, I think it was July. Damn. I'm like on my, sorry. I'm on my, uh, (laughs) I'm on my third year of quitting my job, like July 18th, I think it is. So I'm like, we're coming close to that date. And, um, I quit my job. I was working for NYC business solutions, which is a city program under the department of small business services. I was managing, uh, two of their centers, Queens and in the Bronx, I was like completely stressed and like Mm -hmm. stretched and, um, I quit. And my initial idea when I started Progress Playbook was to offer like online courses to teach people how to start businesses by industry. Cause I saw this gap. I was like, yo, like people are coming to me wanting to learn how to start businesses, right. but there weren't any, um, I can give them general advice, but not advice in terms of like, how do you start a hair care business? How do you start a clothing line? How do you, you know what I'm saying? So right. I wanted to kind of provide like these detailed by uh, information by industry. Um, so I got my first contract. So when I, when I quit my job, I had no idea like where I was going to get, mm-hmm. get a client from, what was going to happen. I was going to produce these courses, but it's so, it just so happened that because I built such a healthy network when I was at my old job that I got a contract to do my first project with the Actors Fund. Um, so they said that they were looking, they got a grant from the Ford Foundation to design a program again for like artists. And uh, they said, we're looking for a consultant to design this program for us. And my, and my boy, he called, he said, Lloyd, I think you would be great for this project. And, um, and I never thought that organizations uh, would need support in that in that way. Mm-hmm. But because the world is changing in terms of work and like what workforce will look like, you know, 10 years from today, it's very different from, from what it looks like right now. So they are trying to prepare people for what the new workforce will look like. Um, and, there, you know, there's a lot of money being thrown around. Right. So. So, no, to answer your question. Uh, <laughs> but I'm happy that it kind of worked out this way. So when you start a business, sometimes you may think your 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 customer is going to be X or is going to work out to be, you know, one way. Um, And then, you know, in business, like things kind of shift and change really quickly. And I created like a whole business plan off of like these online courses. So that's when I teach about business. So although you may create a business plan, you never know, like not until you actually go out and do it. Do you know who your real customer is going to be? True story. You know, or who's going to respond to your offering. So like I I say, don't spend too much time planning. Planning is super important, but not until you actually do it is just really when you know who's going to pay for the service right. or product. Okay. So in my recon, I saw a little video that <laughs> yeah. you did on your last day of work. Oh, you saw that? Yes. Yeah, so where you said, 
I'm going in today and I'm going to give notice. I'm trusting God. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm doing it. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But so you went in that day, gave notice, I guess, about three years ago. Now, how did you prepare? Because it sounds like at that point you didn't necessarily know where your customers are going to come from, what have you. So did you like stash some cash? Were you literally just like, I'm going to just get out there and see what happens and hope for the best? How did you go about making the decision to give notice and walking in that day and doing it? Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was like 10 years old growing mm-hmm. up in Brown. So like, hey, yo, I want to start a company. It was just always in me. Um, and I was just afraid, didn't have the resources or the support. And I, was, I was just one of those people that was just talking about it and mm-hmm. dreaming about it for like for years. College, dreaming about it, working, dreaming about it. And my friends, they were like, yo, like, look, you're always talking about starting a business, bro. Like start it. Like, when are you going to do it? And I was progressing in my career, like working in government, working in corporate America. Um, and um, it came up point when I was working at my last job, I was managing two sites and I was again, like stretched and stressed. So one of my friends, two of my friends, actually Laurel and Keith, they were both like, this is your time, Lloyd. Like it's time for you to, to jump out and do your thing. Like you have enough support resources, et cetera. So they kind of encouraged me to take the step. And I drafted my, um, uh, resignation letter Mm -hmm. to my boss. And, um, you know, um, so what I did was actually, they love, like I did such a great job job at work. So like one thing I would say is that, you know, although I know I wanted to quit, um, I still showed up every day and did what I had to do. And because of that, you know, when I quit my job, I said, I'm quitting, but I would love to, if you're open to it, stay on for a couple of months, part like half, like 20 hours a week. So when I quit in July, I wound up, I still stayed on the job Mm part-time for 20 hours a week for like five months. Um, so I was able to have cash flow while I got my first client. And then I was able to kind of build traction that way. Um, but the only reason why she agreed, my boss at the time, to that proposition was because she knew the quality of my work. Right. You know, and she she needed me too. <laughs> right. And, and this is what like I try to tell people all the time, because what happens is get into a job is great. Right. But most of us are overworked. Like, let's yeah. keep it real. Right. And it's a different overworked when you're working for yourself and something you're passionate about mm-hmm. than when you're an employee, you know, building somebody else's dream. So often what happens is people, you know, they, they start to burn out and then they check out because they're over it and they're disgruntled. So then the work quality suffers. Yep. And by the time they leave, they've poured gasoline all over yep. the bridge and through the mat yep. and that's it. But I think there's something to be said for walking away amicably and utilizing your track record to your advantage and still meeting a need just in a different way. And I think your story is a a great testament to that. Yeah. um, You know, my last job, you know, it was still doing economic development work. Mm -hmm. So it's similar work to what I'm doing now. So I was really, I was still passionate about the work, although I was like stressed, uh, stretched and stressed. Uh, But I think that, you know, again, if you show up every day, even if you don't want to be there, like those relationships, like I would not be doing what I'm doing today, three years out if I didn't take the time when I was at my job, like building relationships, staying past the time that I was supposed to stay past, doing projects that I that I was just like passionate about, um, that I thought were cool, uh, being innovative, you know, and that really supported me. It supports me now because I'm able to go back and like leverage a lot of those relationships to get contracts today. So like I, you know, there's a, I love, you know, what I used to do and it is is a, it's a blessing and it's helping me to excel today. So if you 
you out there, you're listening, you know, if you have a job, um, you know, still give it all you, you know, still give it all everything that you have, right. period. So you mentioned the word traction. So you had the, the part-time thing going, you got your first yeah. uh, gig as an entrepreneur. What did those first few months look like in trying to build a book of business? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the first thing that I did was so I got this first contract, like literally maybe like two weeks after I quit. Wow. And that's, that's just that's like, a short runway. That's good. <laughs> so that's like, for me, that's the grace of God. I was like, all right, so I think I'm going to write track here. Like I'm doing mm-hmm. something right. Cause you know, like, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, so I knew I was going to write track. Um, and then my job, I was like, yo, in six months, I want to close five deals. That's what I said to myself. I said, six months, I'm going to close five deals. And again, like I went back to my network. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a ton of programs when I was working. So I did a program, for example, called Coro, which is a, a civic leadership program. Mm-hmm. And I've done uh, all types of different programs while I was working still. Um, and I was able to go back to all of these various networks. I was just setting up meetings. I was having like five lunches, <laughs> dinners, <laughs> breakfast meetings with everybody. Which is what it takes. Yeah. And literally in those six months, I closed five deals. Wow. Five deals I closed. Uh, I set a goal and I just just hit the pavement and just had meetings and said, well, this, you know, this is, you guys know my work ethic, you know, what I'm able to do. This is what I'm doing now. If there's an opportunity to work with you in a project, you know, I would love to, uh, to do that. And I was able to close five projects in six months. It's important to highlight that you didn't just set the goal and like sat there, like if I can see it and if I believe it, it will come like you, because <laughs> people get caught up in that now. Like, yeah. you know, I'm just going to declare this thing and I'm going to put it on my vision board and the law of attraction, it's going to drop right in my lap. But the reality of it is the energy you put out there is the first step, right? Mm-hmm. And being determined and knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you can make it happen. But you've got to do the work. Yeah, You've got to engage in the business development and pick up the phone, make calls, set meetings. And I, I feel like that's just such a crucial component. And it seems like something everybody should know, but I'm realizing that they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like some people think like sales is so hard. Like, right. what if I'm not going to get a client? It's really about to me is about staying on top of mind. Right. Right. So like when there is an opportunity, they think about you and they're ready to move forward. You know what I'm saying? So an example, we have a client, uh, Brownsville Community Justice Center in Brownsville, Brooklyn. They help kind of uh, youth that have been in the criminal justice center uh, system in some capacity, they provide social services for them. So we're doing a project with them now. We've been doing projects with them for the last three years since I started. Uh, so they were actually one of the first, those six, five, what did I say? Five uh, mm-hmm. clients when I first started. Uh, and it's still a client today. Um, but there was a stretch, maybe about like a year where I didn't have a project with them. So what I would do is I would just send them, if I come across a, like a grant opportunity that I see like online and I'll, I'll send it to, I, I sent it to them. I was like, I think this is a great opportunity opportunity for you guys. I think you guys should apply. And I would just send them things just randomly so they won't forget about me and that they could actually, that would add value to them, you know? Um, And they actually wound up uh, getting the grant that I sent to them and they hired me for the project. (laughs) But I didn't even like, it it was like literally six months after I sent it to them. Like I'm doing my thing, not even thinking about the fact that I sent them that email. If they they even applied, they wound up applying. And like now we work today was our first day working on a project based off the grant that they got from that we sent to them. Wow. So it was just like staying on top of mind, setting up meetings is, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's just, um, 
is simple mm -hmm. in terms of like what's required to be able to close deals. Just show up. Right. That makes sense. Just show up. OK, so let's talk about the things that you took advantage of while you were in your role at New York City Business Solutions. Were those things offered through the city, like through your employer? Or were you going in your spare time on your own and saying, I'm going to get this certification. I'm going to go take this course. Um, you're saying what did I take advantage of? You were saying that you took advantage of certain things that were available. The name that you mentioned, I think you said Coro. Coro. Yeah. yeah. So was that something that you just did on your own or was that a benefit or a perk of the work that you were doing through the city? Got it. Yeah. So, you know, the people in my network, they would, mm -hmm. they would just say, I think you should do this program. I've been doing programs since I was a kid. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, wanted to, like, I, I did like inroads. I've done like so many programs. Oh, inroads along are, too. are you yes. serious? Yeah. Come on, inroads. Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> Shout out. Started my uh, inroads career there. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. I did. I was in Lord, Lord and Taylor in the buying department. Okay. So dope. But, um, so like I've been like this program guy, like over the years, just like, how can I continuously develop myself and build networks? So my, you know, a friend of mine just recommended, she said, I think this would be a great program in your, like where you are in your career. And I was like, uh, okay. Like I, I signed up, you know, so I had to convince my boss actually to pay for it. Cause it wasn't a part of like what they did, mm -hmm. but, uh, she wound up paying for it. And, uh, she's like, I think it's a great program. And, um, yeah, it was just something that I wanted to do on my own. Yeah. It wasn't a part of, but you got them to pay for it. Which is really what I was getting at, right? <laughs> so even if it's not a perk that's offered or a part of your package to say, hey, you know, we will pay for six classes a year or what have you, don't be afraid to try to come up with unique opportunities that maybe could supplement the salary that you're getting or the work that you're doing. Like exhaust what you can from the job. Absolutely. Like I knew, I knew that I was going to, I wanted to start a business. Again, I was a dreamer for a long time. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to start a business after I was working for the city. I was like, I'm going to start something after this. So I was just trying to soak up the experience, the relationships because I knew I needed to leverage that. So if you, you know, again, what's out there that you could take advantage of? And again, to your point, like milk it up. Right. Exactly. <laughs> milk, milk these employers yeah. for all you can get out of them. Yeah, for real. So when I, so when I saw that you had worked for New York City Business Solutions, shout out to Greg Bishop, a uh, former guest of the show. Hey, Greg. Wow. What's and up, I'm man? also a former volunteer, volunteer oh, really? attorney for New York City Business Solutions. Okay. So, yeah, so intimately familiar. But that move made sense to me. New York City Business Solutions to Progress Playbook. Mm -hmm. Then I read in your bio that you've been in banking, you're a teacher, public servant, et cetera. Those are very varied roles. How did you end up going from, say, banker to teacher? Mm. When I got out of college, I worked, you know, um, again, you know, I, I, through En-ROADS. Mm -hmm. I'm going to back up to En-ROADS. I was working at, I got an internship in college working at Lord & Taylor in a buying department. I didn't really want to be a buyer. Like in college, the sexy thing at the time was being in finance. Right. But the only thing, and I was attracted to that. I was like, oh, I don't want to be a banker. Um, but the only internship I was able to get was in the buying department. I was, they had me in women's swimwear department of all departments. <laughs> <laughs> so like learning how to buy women's swimwear, you know, for all Lord and Taylor stores. Uh, but anyway, so because of that internship, when I graduated from college, you know, I was interning for like finance jobs and um, uh, I wound up getting a job at JP Morgan Chase um, in the apparel, textile and jewelry industry, helping to finance those middle market companies in those industries because of that internship that I had at Lord & Taylor. Wow. So I said, you have this experience. All right. So you know a little bit about the industry. We're going to hire you. 
in this department. Uh, so while at the bank, um, you know, it's middle market companies like between $10 million and like $500 million in sales. And like, I would like literally as an analyst and as a portfolio manager, meet with various CEOs, CFOs, you know, controllers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, everyone, no, no one looked like myself. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking, right? I know. No, nah, not really. He's not shocking. But I was just, um, I don't know. It just, it just really made me upset. And like one of the things that really made me upset was like, I thought back to my 10 year old self when I said I want to start a business and I would see sometime you would go to these uh, companies and visit them to talk about, you know, their need for financing. I would see sometimes like people like, you know, uh, it was like family owned businesses. So you would have like these young kids who are growing up in a family business and they were able to like, tell me about a balance sheet and an right. income statement. And I'm like, well, you know, that's what I wanted when I, you know, when I was 10, I wanted to start something, you know? Right. And I saw how, you know, in the family structure, how if your father or your family had a business, how they were able to leverage that business to help their their kids to start business. So an example of that, uh, I don't know, you know, Elf, E-L-F, the, the, the makeup. makeup company, yes. Yeah. So his father, the, the guy that started, I forget his name, the guy that started that business, his father had a very successful apparel business. Wow. And the reason why he was able, so he knew about manufacturing, he knew how to like get manufacturers in China, you know, how to get finance. So he was able, his son, like he was in his twenties at the time when he started Elf, he was able to do that only, be, not, I wouldn't say only, but largely because his father, you know, had access to this knowledge and to this, you know, to resources. And now, you know, the company is like a hundred million dollar plus company today. People love Elf, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, so I saw like this, I saw what was happening in the system and in the game. I was like, we need as a black African-American community, we need to have those things set up as well for us. So it comes of pissed me off. Mm -hmm. And that led me to like want to do like community work and like economic development in like neighborhoods. Um, so I wound up meeting this guy named Ryan Mack. He had a company called uh, Optimum Capital Management. Ryan Mack. You know him? We have sat on the panel together Are you for serious? the National Action Network annual convention. Yes. <laughs> so this is what happens in New York. It's like one degree of separation between everybody. So you you talk long enough, you realize you know the same people. Yeah. But continue. In real, you got a lot in common. Yes. Uh, um, but so I met him and he was like, out there doing this thing on a financial literacy tip while I was working for the bank. And I was like, yo, I'm going to join your team, man. Like, I want to be a part of what you're doing. So I was just out there just teaching with him for free, just like teaching like financial literacy, just getting my, my feet wet, my foot wet, uh, my feet wet <laughs> in terms of like community organizing, development, teaching. And that's kind of, you know, I give him a lot of credit in terms of being able to solidify a lot of those values within me. Um, and from there, you know, it's kind of led to where I'm, you know, doing today. So I've taken all of those little pieces from the the, the anger from banking mm -hmm. that I saw in terms of disparities to doing economic development and teaching with Ryan to then going to work for government. So I actually lost my job at the bank because of the crash in 08. Yes. <laughs> oh man, 08. <laughs> uh, so I lost my job. So I was like, yo, I'm going to do this financial literacy thing full time with Ryan. And I did I, like about two to three years I did it for. And then I like cash flow was low. Mm -hmm. So I had to get a job and I said, I asked God, I said, God, I want two jobs. I either want a job teaching youth or I want a job doing like small business development and entrepreneurship. I was very specific when I said, when I asked him what I, what I wanted. And it's so crazy. Like I got both of those jobs. I got two jobs. I had two jobs at the same time, <laughs> working, doing small business at NYC Business Solutions and teaching, um, what was I teaching? Like life skills, career skills on Saturdays, teaching a program called OpNet, which is very similar to Inroads. Mm -hmm. So I had the two things 
to the Axe where I got them once my money was like running really low. I was like, literally, I was like, I had boxes at my house ready to move back home with my mama. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Uh, but then, like, literally, like a week before I was gonna move out, like I got two jobs at the same time, and wow. I was very specific when I when, with my request, and I and it happened. And people have to understand, like, when you're running low on money in New York. It's a very different situation than running low on money in other parts of the country. Like you probably need a few thousand dollars like just to live the next couple of weeks. Like it's not like your rent's, you know, four hundred dollars. You kind of make it work in some small town. Like it's a different scenario. So I always applaud people when they tell these stories and, you know, they're like, it is it. Like they have to they're at the end of their rope. They've got to make a decision. And they hung in there and they had the faith and the will to stick with it in hopes that something was going to pop because being in the red in New York. Not a good look. Different fall. Okay. <laughs> completely different ball game. So take us back to childhood. You're this little boy in Brownsville. And if anyone knows anything about New York, Brownsville, tough neighborhood, right? Back <laughs> yeah. in the day. So what prompted you to want to be a boss, to have a business? Were you exposed to that at all? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was you know, a very f- familiar story growing up, single family households, mm-hmm. um, you know, didn't have a lot of income, but didn't know, you know, that we were, you know, considered poor. Right. Um, but also wanting to like keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> so, you know, wanted the night sneakers, wanted to like hang out. But my mom, you know, like, you know, I had an allowance, but it was very small. It wasn't enough for me to be able to keep up with the Joneses. I was like, I need a way to start a business. I got to make some money. And I was at the time I was under 14. So I was too young to even get a job. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what's what's another way to do this? And, you know, for, I don't know what clicked in my head at the time, but like business, like it just clicked. I was like, I'm going to start a company. Um, like at 10, I'm like 10 years old. Like who thinks about starting a business at 10? It's kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> it's when you know what you were born to do. I think those signs come up and those desires come up very early. Yeah. So, but also I remember being young and I just saw, I did see like a lot of the disparities in my neighborhood growing up in Brownsville, you know, like, you know, times being, you know, Rob, remember being around, I was talking to Javon today about a couple of times growing up in Brownsville and how, you know, I was robbed a couple of times, got into fights and I just saw like all of this, all these things. And I was, I just remember wanting it to change. And even looking back to these students that we're talking to in this program now that we started today in Brownsville, they too, like these are like 15, 16 year olds and they, they want change too. Like they, a lot of them, we asked one question today, like if you had a million dollars, what would you do? One of the kids, the students in the program, he said, I would move to a white neighborhood to get out of Brownsville where it's quiet. And like, for me, like that, you know, it it hurt, you know? And we have this concept of like making it out the, like making it out the hood. Like I want to, I want to get out the, like making it out of the hood versus building up the hood, you know? Mm -hmm. So everybody's trying to get a, you know, education. And I've done, I did the same thing, but now I'm like re analyzing like what that means is not for me it's not getting out the hood it's like all right you know i think there's something about social mobility right economic mobility but then developing the hood you know right um so i think that we need to get out of this mindset of like moving to like quote unquote white quiet safe neighborhoods and take care of our own right and further we're not safe anywhere right <laughs> let's be clear on that if, you, if anybody's paying attention to the news i mean it doesn't matter where you are you can own a home in that neighborhood and and yeah. still have the cops called on you but that's neither here nor there right. I, dig- I digress i kind of digress 
too. I forgot your original question. I was just like, I don't know where I went. But no, yeah. like we, you know, you answered the question. We were just talking about as a child, you know, and how did you know? What did you see that 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 made you want to be a boss? But I find your story fascinating because so many people go into finance and they see the disparities and they see that they might be behind the eight ball, for lack of a better term, because people are coming in with this leg up by way of family or connections or, you know, college friends or what have you. And usually being pissed off about that just drives them to succeed in that space. Mm. Like, I'm going to climb the ladder here. I'm going to make as much money as I can. I'm going to do whatever I can to get my money right. And then the philanthropic aspect, get that down the line. I'm going to get my millions, Mm. get my house, get the fly family, you know, all of that, the car. And then I'm going to give back and go to the galas and write the check. But you decided to go about this in a totally different way. Mm. And it might have been the recession that helped to drive you in that direction as well. But that's Mm -hmm. impressive. Yeah. um, I was talking to some, you know, a man man of faith and, you know, I read the Bible. Mm -hmm. So this is my favorite book. And one of my favorite books in the Bible is like Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. So Javon and I were talking about the book of Nehemiah yesterday and how there's a story where, you know, there's this uh, Jewish guy called Nehemiah. Uh, He essentially saw that in Jerusalem, how um, his town, he he had asked somebody that had visited Jerusalem. He was living, I don't know where he was living at the time, but he's the, the report came back that Jerusalem was like in ruins mm-hmm. and that it was um, not doing well. The, the, the city walls were burned down. And when he got that report about how his people weren't doing well, he got so frustrated and he was in agony and in pain and he cried out to God and prayed. It's like, like, what can we do to fix this? And he wound up uh, creating like a whole plan to go back to his hometown and rebuild the city, but he didn't have any resources. And at the time, he was a cupbearer for a king. Mm -hmm. So a cupbearer is somebody that essentially they drink the wine to make sure there's no poison. (laughs) And then they give it to the king. So he asked the king for resources to be able to execute his plan. Right. So, you know, um, and then he actually wound up helping to like rebuild where he was from, his city, his town. And, you know, from there it thrived. Um, Go and read the story to get more details, Mm -hmm. but that's pretty much the gist of it. But to your point, like this, you know, this guy, he wasn't a millionaire. He didn't try to climb the corporate ladder. You know, he had a, he saw a problem. He said, uh, you know, but but I think first it started with like pride. Like he was very pride, prideful about where he was from and mm-hmm. loved with his people. And I think in black culture, at least like that's what we have to get back to, like pride and like love. And I, there's, there's, there's levels of that there, but there's still a lot of, to me, in my opinion, like, like self-hate or, right. you know. I'm not going to go back to the hood, but his approach, and this is, I learned from that, his approach was pride, saw a problem, let me create a solution, a plan, and then go out and get the resources to execute that plan mm-hmm. without having to like do this social, mo- you know, this, this, uh, climbing the corporate ladder first. Right. And I don't think there's like any one right, there's not a right way, you know, it's not like a cookie cutter model. So I think that both work, but you know, this is just the path that I chose. So, right. And I I agree with you that there is not a cookie cutter model. And I think sometimes people are trying to force one way because they think it's the only way and it's not working and it's not working because that's not their purpose. That's not where they're supposed to be. And there's something that Oprah always says, like, and it sounds cliche, but it's so accurate. Like every failure, every disappointment, everything that happens is literally just pushing you in the direction of where you're supposed to be. Yeah. It's pushing you towards your purpose. So for everybody, it's not going to be that, you know, 
upward mobility within a major corporation, but impact just the same, if not more, going a different route. And you're approaching this from a few different angles. So switching gears a little bit, um, going deeper into your community work, can you tell me a little bit about building an empire? Yeah. So building an empire is a program that we started the first six months. Yeah. That, that on which we um, launched Parker's Playbook. Uh, it's a, a one of our programs. It's a youth entrepreneurship program. So the gap that I saw in the marketplace before I started Progress Playbook was that business education was very, again, like cookie cutter, mm-hmm. like it's classroom style. Let's just teach people how to start a company. It wasn't like industry specific. So like, what are some new ways, some new models that on which we can begin to like teach entrepreneurship and teach people how to, you know, build businesses. And so this program we created to teach young people how to participate in the economic changes that are happening in their neighborhoods. That was the initial idea. So, you know, gentrification happening and like all throughout New York City and other parts of the country. Right. Like how can that, you know, us as brown, black folks begin to participate in these developments and changes. So, you know, I, we created this program. We got some money from the Brooklyn Community Foundation, some of the council people to actually launch this thing. Um, and essentially it's a program that we get high school students together, about 15 of them, we recruit them from around the city. They go through a three month entrepreneurship program where they learn how to create a, a business plan for their individual businesses. But in addition, and that's the traditional model, but in addition to that, they also get an opportunity to practice the startup experience. So what we've designed is like a, like a pop-up shop. Mm-hmm. So essentially what they do is, so everything that they learned over those three months, they have to then put it to practice. Um, and the purpose of practicing it is so that you can know how it feels, know what it's like before you actually go out and do it yourself. So their job is really to like organize a youth led pop-up shop that we do annually. Um, we've been doing it in partnership with the Brooklyn Children's Museum every year. And essentially their job is to get other like youth vendors throughout New York City to pay to vend and this pop-up shop is like their their one day business wow if that makes sense that's awesome but applying what they've learned over those three months um yeah making making it real you know so when they actually go out and do their own things they're like all right like i know how to go raise some money or how to go sell you know and try to get a client or you know so we we wanted to make it real so it's a program that we do with different organizations and it's a yeah it's a, it's a labor of love but it also pays the bills too <laughs> well, hey listen i'm, I'm not mad i'm not uh, mad at that conscious capitalism conscious capitalism so tell me it seems like you have a lot of irons in the fire you have a lot going on how do you manage all of this how do you keep all the balls in the air <laughs> i'm still trying i'm trying to figure that out uh i don't know i'm still learning how to like really manage my time saying no to projects like my first i said yes to everything mm-hmm. you know because i had to eat you know so uh, there were things that maybe projects that, that maybe weren't like in alignment but i you know they all were in alignment, but yeah, I just had to say yes pretty much to everything. And cause I had to eat initially. Um, and there's still a lot going on and I think building a team has helped some. So at first it was just me doing everything and I was stressed out. I've, I, I've cried. I've been, you know, pick up bad habits, try to like really <laughs> relieve the stress mm-hmm. of like what comes with building a business. Um, and, you know, I think building a team has helped. Um, planning is so important. And I'm still learning that like early planning, because sometimes you'll get a project and you just have to like jump in and just do it. Right. You know, they didn't give you a lot of time to plan, but I've learned the the, the, the importance of planning. If you asked me two years ago, like, should I create a business plan? Should I plan? Like, no, just go out and do it. But planning helps you to, you know, minimize the risk and the stress. Mm-hmm. So so I think planning and building a team and um, 
And I think I'm learning now what to say no to. There's been some projects that have come that now I'm in a position to say, you know what? Like, no, that doesn't make sense for me right now. Right. So, yeah. And I'm still I'm still learning how to do that to answer your, your question. Yes. I think it's, it's an hard. ongoing balance and dance to figure out what actually works and what makes sense. So you have this team. When I talk to folks who are knee deep in entrepreneurship and it's just them and, you know, it's at that time where they're like, it's too much. I can't do it myself. I need other people, but I can't afford it. I just can't afford to hire other people. I got, the, I have the money right now to pay them, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue to pay them. How are you, how were you able to figure that out? Were you like, oh, I've got this enough money set back for the business now that I know that I've got this much runway to pay a team? Are you doing it on a project basis? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So the first person I hired was actually a virtual assistant. So I leveraged, I went through a, it was a it was all contractors at the mm-hmm. beginning, still contractors now, but um, I went on this site called Upwork um, that you, I'm sure you know about too. Uh, <laughs> yep. I've used, I've used them a few times, <laughs> formerly Elance, and then they, the Elance, Elance began Upwork. Yep. Yeah. So Upwork is a platform that allows you to uh, hire freelancers literally from around the world. Mm-hmm. So um, I went on Upwork and I got a virtual assistant and she supported me. I paid literally $5 an hour, live in Jamaica. The island, not uh, Jamaica, not New York. <laughs> and Nobody she, in Queens is working for $5. Right, exactly. <laughs> but she supported me with like research, writing, emails, all types of stuff. Um, in addition to that, like people like my friends, like my friends were ready and willing to like help and support me. So I have a friend, Christina, like she came on board. I was paying her like literally, I don't know if she wants me to say, I'm actually not going to say. Uh, we'll leave that part out. <laughs> <laughs> well, she pay, I was paying her, you know, yeah, not what she was worth, but I was paying her something to help me every single month on like the organization side of things. Cause like, I knew, like I knew my strengths, my strengths were like going out and like developing relationships, closing deals, mm-hmm. developing programming, um, you know, things like that. But like in terms of management, like I know that I needed some like on the admin side, organization side of that, I need some support. So she helped me with that. Um, and I paid her like a, on a retainer mm-hmm. every single month. Um, and then every project that I would get, I would need to hire like a graphic designer or a videographer, or a photographer or whatever. So like I would, again, leverage my network to find those people to be able to pay them. Um, and because we're doing so many youth programs, like we develop these bonds with young people. Right. And they're like, yo, like I want to be on your team. Like, what you know, so we like now we have like five young people interns um who are dope dynamic smart uh, who support us um and then um you know we don't pay them but they want the experience right. the exposure etc and then uh you know my uh, someone that i met at, while at the solution center javon he's like the creative director for progress playbook today but you know i helped him when he wanted to launch his own clothing line when i was working at nyc business solutions so he does he, he also cared about the mission mm-hmm. and the vision so i think a big piece of it is like how can you craft a mission and a vision that will inspire people absolutely and want them to actually join your team and you'll be surprised that people are willing to work with you for you know low cost sometimes free because mm-hmm. they believe in what you're doing and like that's how we've been able to kind of like rock this thing out over the last three years you know and um you know uh yeah but i, I see us in you know next couple of years having our own space having like you know full-time employees and all right. those things so um so yeah so you mentioned the stress of entrepreneurship and the vices that can come with that and the t- years. I'm telling you, I had never seen so many grown men cry as I did once I got into the space of advising startups. It it is that real sometimes. So through the ebbs and the flows, how do you stay motivated? 
Yeah. Entrepreneurship is hard. Like, you know, again, I've been thinking about it since 10 years old and I was like, yeah, I could do this. I could do this better than them, you know, certain people. Um, and yeah, like you don't know what it's like until you do it. No, like <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, whether, whether, you know, worrying about like cash flow, worrying about like, you know, performance, you know, if you're doing something new, like the entrepreneurship is like a big learning curve. Right. So like, you know, managing the different parts of it, like making sure you're getting paid, making sure you're responding to like a thousand emails still, making sure that you're like showing up for the client, making sure that you're still trying to go out and get additional business, doing social media, managing event. Like it's so much, like it's so consuming and it's stressful as hell. Right. Uh, but it's also very rewarding. And, and sometimes when you first start, you may not even be making like a lot of money. You know, you're putting in like a hundred hours a week <laughs> and you're like, Less wait, the minimum. yeah. Like how many hours am I putting in? How much money am I making? Um, but what keeps me going, I think is one, I love the, the autonomy and flexibility of entrepreneurship. So it allows me to like create the things that I believe should be in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love that. I love that creativity and flexibility and, um, yeah, it's dope. And what keeps me going is, is I believe that I'm on purpose, you know, it's like mission is like, I, I, I believe that this is what I'm here to do. Right. I'm like, I don't like, what's my other option? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, like what else am I going to do? I'm not going back to banking, you know? So, um, I think purpose, I think autonomy, um, and I, I think the vision, like I see where, where it's going and I'm, I'm, I'm motivated to like get there mm -hmm. and like see the impact that I believe that Progress Playbook will make in neighborhoods across the world, really. I believe that too. Yeah. Thank you. So what does a typical, typical day look like for you now? If there is such a thing. There's no typical day. <laughs> I'll tell you today. Mm -hmm. So today, so today we um, started, I typically get on my laptop. The first thing I do, like check some emails. I'm just, I'm started with my work day. There's like a whole bunch of things that come before right. work. But from a workday perspective, I'd like to start laptop, check some emails. Um, and then I typically do like some client work. So whether I'm like creating curriculum for a client or I am, yeah, just like, yeah, just like basic client work, following up with uh, all the client requests. Um, so I did that today. And then we went to our program. So we have, again, a program in Brownsville that we started today. And, you know, we strategize me and Javon, like what that day will look like, like we like fine tuning what the day will look like. So we did that. And then we drove to Brownsville, <laughs> facilitated the, you know, this two hour workshop with these young people. Um, and, um, and then after that, we had a, I had a meeting after that, after that workshop. Um, and then we made our way to the city to come and do this podcast. Uh, so, but yesterday, very, I'm trying to think about yesterday. Yesterday, I taught a class yesterday. Um, I'm trying to think. It was like a crazy day yesterday, too. We had like three meetings. So, yeah, it's, it's like every day is different. I don't know about you, but I most of the time I can't even remember like what I wore the, the day before. Yeah. <laughs> it's all <laughs> such a blur. It's a serious grind, especially when you're juggling multiple passions, right? That all fit and kind of roll up into this one big brand. Exactly. But there are several aspects of it that all require your attention. And let's not even get in trying to like manage the social part and like... Like see your friends and family sometimes. Oh yeah, that that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I try to end the day with like a conversation with a friend or mm -hmm. family member. So yeah, that that's also a part of it, definitely. But it's hard. 
It is hard. So you're better than me because by the end of the day, like I don't want to talk yeah. <laughs> at all. I don't have yeah. anything left to give. Uh, I hear you. Listen, like I'll text you maybe. No, I'm right. I'm going to text, <laughs> but a phone conversation after all of this, this is a bit difficult. Yeah, it's hard. So you mentioned Nehemiah. Is there anyone else's story that you draw inspiration from? Outside of Nehemiah? I think, yeah, I love that that book and what he's been able to, to kind of accomplish. Um, who else am I inspired by? Um, it's a lot of inspirations. Um, you know, for me, like the, the big thing for me with progress playbook is about like changing systems. Like mm-hmm. what's the current system and how can we either create a system inside the system <laughs> or just create a whole new system altogether. So for me, a lot of that is about like innovation and about like community development. Um, and, you know, I look to people like Marcus Garvey. I look to people like even Steve Jobs, you know, I look to my pastor, Mm -hmm. you know, I look to like, you know, my mom, even, you know, like these people for me have been inspirational um, in different ways. And I feel like everybody has a different, I was having a conversation with this guy about like economic development the other day. And he was like, yeah, like Beyonce and Jay-Z could be doing more. And I think that these churches could be doing more. And like, you know, we can, we can all be doing more. Right. And you can't, (laughs) they put so much focus on like this handful of black folks that carry the load and you can't do that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, I think like, uh, what was it, Farrakhan? Like, he just talks, like he could be doing more. Like everybody, like if we look at our body, like each part, each of our body parts has a function, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes like words are enough to like spark change, you know? So if, you know, I was, you know, if Farrakhan of all he do is, you know, preach and teach mm-hmm. without, you know, creating like an economic development hub in Brownsville, like I think his gift is enough to inspire somebody to create change you know um so you know um yeah i believe that and i mean we could all do more again but again i I think that everybody has their unique gift talent and like once you find out what that is that's all you should be doing right (laughs) so question i'm going off script a little bit here yeah would you ever run for office (laughs) i get that question (laughs) i do get that question a lot uh, I never thought about it to me. I mean, I've been thinking about it recently only because people have been saying, oh, like you would probably be good at like politics. Mm-hmm. You know, if that was God's will for me. Yeah, of course. Um, but, it, you know, right now I'm passionate about Progress Playbook. Right. But it's not <laughs> off the table. You're not like I would never, nah, ever. It's run not for off the table. Office. Yeah. yeah. So. Lloyd Cambridge 2028. 2028. <laughs> <laughs> soon come, soon come. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day that's every day tell me about it right <laughs> that's every day oh uh, man because every day has a set of challenges man um you know i'm gonna go back to like the pop-up shop that we did mm-hmm. so we had we did a pop-up shop two weeks ago on a rooftop of the brooklyn children's museum that these 15 high school students organized and essentially it was um again like a youth-led pop-up shop their job was to practice the startup experience we have 48 vendors on a rooftop of the brooklyn children's museum wow we had eight performances yoga we had all types of stuff that was there. It was really cool. Um, and you know, you, you plan for months and make this thing happen. Right. And the day of, you know, you just never know when you do an event, the day of the event, (laughs) (laughs) like what is going on? Like, no, this is not supposed to happen. So the day of the event one, it's, it's literally 95 degrees on the rooftop. Right. And they have like this, I don't know what to call it, but this covering on the roof, like a, a part of it is covered but it's almost like a magnifying glass. So like it, it's, like it's 10 degrees hotter oh my on a gosh. rooftop. So it felt like a hundred and something degrees. So, you know, we wanted a big turnout and people came, but it was so hot. <laughs> they were like, well, this was nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like there for two minutes. And it was like, I'm out. Like I got to go. 
because it was so hot. So although the experience was cool, but, it, you know, because the space was so big, it kind of felt it also felt a little not as full as I wanted it to be because people weren't sticking around for too long because it was so hot. So it was a little bit of dis- disappointing. It was disappointing for the young people that were well, for me, they loved it. But for me, I was like, oh, like this, you know, didn't really sit well with me. Um, so one, like the, the heat, you know, and then I'm like really hard on myself, mm-hmm. you know, as an entrepreneur, you like always you just want to be per- perfect sometimes, you know, when, when you want to like achieve greatness. And um, uh, so so for me, like that was it was tough. It was rough. And I beat myself up like literally for like two days after the event. Um, But during the day, like I had to like I had to still show up and still, although I was disappointed with the conditions that I had no control over. Right. I had to still show up and still do what was necessary. Even when we got to the event space, it was an event there prior. And they were like literally like about 200 chairs on a rooftop that weren't removed and our event was starting like in an hour. So like all of these little things that you had to, that you don't anticipate that you have to like navigate around. And um, yeah, it was, it was tough that day, two weeks ago, but uh, we, we made it work and um, the vendors were happy and the students were happy. Uh, but again, you know, I beat myself up. <laughs> and I think all 26 years do that, but then you talk to other people and they're like, this was amazing. Like I'm sure the kids were ecstatic about their experience. Yeah, they were. And like, you know, that's why it's also good to have like, people in your network to kind of help you to get out of that little rut and like right. give you different perspectives. Like Javon helped me with that a lot. And like, Lord, like you have to look at all of the, the great things that came out of the program over the last three months and even the event itself. And I was just focused on a negative, like, you know, um, my focus went there first versus all of the beautiful things that came out of it. Right. And the reality of it is that when you have this huge vision, it's always going to be bigger than people's expectations. Yeah. Always. So even though there are going to be misfires, no matter what things are, everything's not going to run perfectly. That's just the way it goes. It's still going to exceed people's expectations because your vision, your vision is just so large yeah. and the dreams that you have for it, the, the magnitude really can't even sometimes I think be put on paper, put into words. So, you know, the perfectionist part that kind of creeps in, but I, I go through this all the time. Like, so I'm going to encourage you for a second. Thank, thank you. <laughs> what people see is still like, this is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. Like, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're beating yourself up because it's like, but man, I wanted to do that one thing. And this is what I had in my mind and it didn't quite land, yeah. but I, I'm, I wasn't even there. And I know you exceeded what people expected from you. Yeah, thank you. So, so just keep, just keep grinding. Just keep, keep grinding. grinding. Yeah, right. I had to, it took me two days to get mm-hmm. back on my feet and like, just keep going. But yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate it. So what's on the horizon? What's on the immediate, immediate horizon for Progress Playbook? Yeah, so we're doing, um, so again, we have this project in Brownsville that we're doing. We're doing another project with Greater Jamaica Development Corporation and Goldman Sachs and Con Edison to help restaurants in Jamaica, Queens, um, to help them. So again, this whole gentrification thing to so the neighborhood is changing. So how can you help these longstanding businesses that have been there? for years mm-hmm. and help them to kind of adapt to the changes that are happening. So like helping them to get on board, onboarding them into technology like Uber Eats and all these other types of things. Right. So we're designing a whole program to modernize like these restaurants in Jamaica, Queens specifically. Um, we're also working on a proprietary product called it like the New, the New York City Playbook. Uh, and essentially this, this project is we've done uh, 
you know, I believe if you ask 10 different business owners how they started their businesses, you're going to get 10 different answers. Right. So, so there isn't a cookie cutter way to do it. So we decided to interview like 10 entrepreneurs that started their businesses here in New York and just ask them the same questions. How did you get your first customer? How did you brand? How did you get funding? How did you, how did you protect your business like risk management wise? Um, and so we're, we're launching a course, an online and offline course that launches in October of this year around those 10 interviews. So we interviewed like the founder of uh, Baked by Melissa, of uh, Tough Mudder. Uh, we interviewed Melba from in Melba's restaurant in Harlem. We interviewed uh, Fool's Gold Records, Afropunk. And it's a ton of like dope people that started like in New York. Nice. And so we're launching that in October. So we're super excited about that. We're doing a cookout and as a thank you <laughs> in, in August. And then we're going to be doing these dinner parties. Um, so, so one of our values is celebration. Mm -hmm. So we believe that entrepreneurs should celebrate. Like even if it's the smallest, if you create a website, you got a business card, like let's celebrate that. Like, you know. Because all of it is a win. Right. Anything you can check <laughs> off is a win. <laughs> like we don't do enough celebration. I'm also guilty of it as an, as a value. I have to like figure out how to really integrate that into everything that we do. Right. So uh, we're doing these dinner parties. Um, right. We're going to do three in the fall. But the purpose is to like celebrate the victories of like entrepreneurs in New York City. Like these small dinner parties that we're going to have a, a chef, um, a private chef. And yeah, so that starts in September. Nice. So yeah, we, we move in out we here in these streets. In these streets. <laughs> so if there is an entrepreneur out there, a small business owner who wants to work with you and just reach out to you directly and not come through another org, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. So most of our work is through the organizations. Mm -hmm. We do some consulting one-on-one, -on -one, but like, it's like very, just a case by case. Okay. Yeah. But we do, um, we have, we also host classes that so we work out of the impact hub, which mm -hmm. we're at right now. Um, and this is like tribe Chinatown, Soho area. Um, and um, yeah, we offer classes that we typically do on Saturdays. We're going to start doing some in the evenings. So entrepreneurs are welcome to like attend those as well. But you can, people can reach us on our website, progress, www.progressplaybook.com, social media, Instagram, Progress Playbook, Facebook, Progress Playbook, or our email is hello at progressplaybook.com. Yeah, we're, we're happy to like, you know, do an assessment and see where we can support you in any way. Cool. And you have your own website right and your own social media i do oh Where personally find you personally yes <laughs> so the challenge with that they you know my team get on me all the time like i'm behind the scenes kind of guy mm -hmm. i really it's such a stretch for me to like promote lloyd cambridge and like put myself out there like it makes me so uneasy i feel your pain <laughs> and i'm like i don't want to do this but like you got to do it um so i'm trying to like you know figure out a whole branding clean up my i had to clean up my instagram so it's a little ratchet it's a little bit um let me find out <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little slightly so, ratchet, okay, but I had all, to clean it up. You've been on this interview with the radio voice, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you're ratchet underneath it all. You know, I told you there was layers to this. Come on. <laughs> we all have different sides. We all code switch. Uh, I get it. Yeah, you know. So, but yeah, Lloyd Cambridge on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook as well. The clean, the, the, the clean version <laughs> the of Lloyd. Right, the censored version. <laughs> I don't even think I even want to know what was deleted. I'm just going to leave that right where it's at. Uh, Thank you for chatting with me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, it was good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this it. This was awesome. To our listeners, make sure you go check out Progress Playbook. Look into all 
all of the community endeavors that Lloyd and his team are involved in. Are there volunteer opportunities as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So for our, our local folks, our native New Yorkers, please go follow Lloyd, figure out what's going on, get involved in your community. We've got to pull each other up. We've got to give back. And there are ways out there for you to do that. So take a look and do not forget to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening you for to the listening December 26th podcast. I am your host, am your Delisha. Delisha. This, this episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.